just, you want a little clip that makes everybody laugh and feel good. You know what I mean? Instead, it's like, ooh. But I'm really not funny. No, no. And we shouldn't have a podcast. What? <laughs> okay. Oh, Captain, my Captain. My name is Harper. I'm Jonathan. And this is Hawkeyes. Kaka. Yes. Uh, this week on Hawkeyes, we're talking about the classic film Dead Poet Society. Yes. Directed by Peter Weir, starring Robin Williams, and obviously a young Ethan Hawke, uh, as well as a young Robert Sean Leonard and Josh Charles. For any of you who. Uh is just going to listen to this one episode because this is your favorite movie. What we do on the show is we go chronologically through Ethan Hawke's career. This is only his second movie, although he did another student film or something like that in between mm-hmm. his first movie, Explorers, which was the subject of our first episode, and this film, Dead Poet Society. So we go chronologically through his career, analyze it, uh, and try to, I guess the real, the ultimate purpose is gleaning the truest essence of Hawkness. So we've got a lot a lot to unpack with this movie. So true, so true. Um, the IMDb synopsis of Dead Poets Society is, English teacher John Keating inspires the students to look at poetry with a different perspective of authentic knowledge and feelings. How do you feel about that uh, description of this movie? Authentic knowledge and feelings. Yeah, it sounds like what the movie's more or less about, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, different perspective thing is very literal because of how much they stand on their desks in this movie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they march in unison mm-hmm. and then not in unison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so different. So perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the IMDb synopsis... Uh, leans heavily on the role of John Keating, the English teacher. There are also a large group of young male students who are the ones that are inspired by him. Um, So one of those students is Ethan Hawke, and we know that he started out as a child actor who had a brief experience in his first film, Explorers, as Jonathan mentioned. Um, So I thought we would take a look at some of the early experiences of the other young actors in this movie. Oh, that's a great idea. Thank you. One of the main characters is Neil Perry, as played by Robert Sean Leonard. He, Robert Sean Leonard was 19 when they filmed Dead Poets Society. Um, he also did have acting experience beforehand. His first role was a supporting character named Max in a film called The Manhattan Project, which is a movie about a teenager that decides to build an atomic bomb for a science fair. This movie came out in 1986. Wait, what is the name of this movie? Uh, the Manhattan Project. And it's a teenager building an atomic bomb. Yeah. For a science, I love it. That's yeah, great. It's fun. Is it a I kind of want to watch this movie. I'm not sure. I've never seen it before. Okay. Um, but it sounds funny. Yeah. I think uh, John Lithgow is also in that movie. What? Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm on board. Yeah. I love John Lithgow. So we'll check that out and let you know what we think of it. Yes. Uh, on our other project, Robert Sean Leonard eyes. That was really bad. Yeah, it was. But I hope you leave it in. I hope you don't edit that out because I want everyone to know. We'll see. That this is the kind of 
that I'm really not funny. No, no, and no, no. And we shouldn't no. have a podcast. No, what? <laughs> that, don't, don't, don't sell yourself short. We're having a good time. Mm-hmm. The people love it. The people love us. Yes, the people love us. And right now, the people, just you and I. Just you and I. But that's what counts. That's if you're true. not doing a podcast just for yourself, are you even really doing a podcast? That's so true. Isn't that how every great podcast starts out? Unless you're like Malcolm Gladwell or some other famous yeah, like established person. Yeah. But was Mark Maron established before he did his podcast? I'm not sure. That's a good question. Did he do radio first? I don't know. I feel like since we're getting into the podcasting business, we should know a little bit about Mark Maron. No, we don't have to know anything about anyone. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Uh, Just so Ethan Hawke. That's true. We or do not. To... We, we don't even know if he won an Oscar. We, no, we, we started know. off the first episode talking about, I said, uh, Oscar winning actor Ethan Hawke. And I didn't even know if that was true. I just said it. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have a call coming in. Oh, that's exciting. I'm going to take this now. Hello? Hello? Hello, Harper? Hi, I have you on speaker right now. Uh, for those of you listening, this is my father, uh, Warren. Hey, what's up? Uh, he's called in today to give us his, uh, his feedback on Dead Poets Society. He watched it I believe when it came out, and has recently rewatched it so that he could shed some light and share his his thoughts. Great. My recollection, correct me if I'm mistaken, is that I may have also watched it with you. Is that possible? That is possible. I I don't really remember the first time I saw it. I think we would have rented it on like DVD from Hollywood Video or something. Right. And then brought it home. I I don't know if I watched it by myself or with you, but I, I could have watched it with you. Because my initial my initial recollection of Dead Poet Society was was that I I remembered it as a movie that kind of annoyed me. Mm-hmm. And that bothered me. And then I, I have a recollection after that of somehow revisiting it with you while you were in school. Probably either, I don't, probably like middle school or high school, or probably middle school, I'm thinking. Uh-huh. And then I probably got re- re-annoyed thinking about it at that time. <laughs> and, then, and then since then, I've just seen it, I watched it today. And I think I've, I think I've matured and mellowed because it, it didn't upset me and annoy me as much this time as I remembered being annoyed by it the first two times. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Do you remember what it was that annoyed you about it at first? I was thinking about that. I was trying to figure out what what bothered me so much about it. Um, I think one of the things... Well, I, I, I know one thing is that it struck me as an over-the-top emotional film, which I are the kinds of films that I generally don't care for. Mm-hmm. I, I like my emotional on a little bit more of a subtext level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that bothered me. Um, uh, what else? I, I think I came to it with high expectations because the director, Peter Weir, had made the movie The Year of Living Dangerously, which I thought was really a fantastic movie, Mm -hmm. um, which he had made, I think, in the early 80s, and then this was, like, made towards the later 80s, and so I I think when I saw this, I felt like he was selling out a little bit. Mm. Wow. 
Interesting. And what else? I think the other two things that bothered me about the movie initially, um, one was that I just, for whatever reason, I don't even know why, I seem to be very uncomfortable watching Robert Sean Leonard acting. Mm-hmm. He just, he makes me uncomfortable to watch. Although, when I watched it today, I, I didn't feel as uncomfortable as I initially did. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's just, he's just not an actor that I respond to. And I remember also when he was on the show House that I was very uncomfortable with the show House because of the main character as well as the dysfunctional friendship that he had with the character played by Robert Sean Leonard. Uh-huh. So I just, I just don't have good associations with that particular actor. So I think that kind of spoiled the movie a little bit for me. Got you. Um, and I, and also just sort of some of the, in addition to the emotional side of it, just some of the, the glossy production values, which are very nice, the music and the cinematography, um, everything shot in the autumnal palette, mm-hmm. except, for the, except for the climactic winter scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just, I think I just felt like it was a little bit of a sellout movie. Interesting. Any thoughts about Ethan Hawke specifically? So, would you like me to say what I, my reaction to it, my sort of revised reaction to it after watching it today? I think it, the, what, what it was at first. Well, like yeah, first we want to know about your original response. And then also, like, you can say what your yeah. current feeling is. I think those were my original responses. I can't, I can't think of much else. Mm-hmm. I do remember because the oh captain my captain thing is kind of iconic Mm -hmm. i remember probably sort of when i first saw that in the theater probably feeling like i was squirming in my seat (laughs) um just like oh god are they really doing this Watching it now, I, I, it, it wasn't so bad. I, like I said, I think, I think I've matured and mellowed a little bit, and I'm not as, not as judgy. Uh-huh. And I, and I was able to sort of get a little bit more aligned with the, the emotional side of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you want to know? Well, about Ethan Hawke specifically, if you had any impressions of him watching it, now that you know he's an established actor, like what it was at the time, how you felt about it? I, I feel that when I first saw this movie, I had no idea who Ethan Hawke would have been or was. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't really remember having much of a response to him at all in this movie and just focusing more on my dislike of Robert John Leonard. <laughs> um, and... But now, watching it now, and going back and looking at it, this was, for Ethan Hawke, I would say this was a very promising minor performance, you know? Um, he, he did it. It's actually a hard job, what he had to do, because he, he is the character in the movie who is kind of the, the observer of the actions and has to kind of react to everything. And I, I thought he did a good job. And looking at it now, I, would, I, I, I look at that and go, wow, he did a great job, and this would suggest promise in the future, which, of course, he's done a lot of 
fantastic performances since then. Yeah, yeah. That, that was my that was my my response to it today. Yeah, that's a good point because he is kind of it is like reacting because he's so shy. The character is so shy that he has. I mean, if you if you, watching it, I was surprised by how little dialogue he has. Like, he, there's he has very few lines and he doesn't talk that much, really. But, but, but the scene, like that's a strong scene that he has with again Robert Sean Leonard, um, where where he gets the death set from his parents that they gave him the, the exact same death set the year before. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 That, that's a very understated, nuanced scene, and I and I liked it. Yeah, yeah, um, that, that was, was good. Strong. And then also he had the scene when he has to react in the snow after you know the horrible thing with Robert John Leonard. Uh huh. And then he 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 leads the oh captain my captain and he you know he does he does a good job with that even though it made me roll my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. If I wasn't just, you know, bothered by that kind of thing and a little bit snarky, I would say he did a, a very good job in that final scene. And he's he's actually, I noticed, the last image in the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just an image of him standing on his desk. Right. Yeah. And, and also, he, there's a good, um, it's not major, but... There's a good chemistry between him and Robin Williams, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Robin Williams does a good job of sort of communicating that he's a teacher who understands this very sort of uh, modest, uh, shy student, and and that he can he can read him and sort of talk with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's my response about Ethan Hawke. Great. Great, yeah. Okay, well, I think those were some really... Insightful uh, points. Yeah, great points. Yeah. Thanks so um, much. Oh, anything else? Can I, say, can I say two other things about watching it today? Yeah. So the two other things that I noticed is... Um, <laughs> I, was, I was sort of mad at um, Robin Williams' character. Uh-huh. Um, because I felt that he was his teacher, his English teacher, and so he was there to teach and, I guess, in this case, inspire, but I felt that he was acting in a role of sort of like a counselor to the character of the student, Neil, Mm -hmm. and I, I... you know, they, they sort of pin, the school sort of pins the whole bad incident on him. And I felt, I, you know, the, the movie tries to sort of make a hero out of him, but I actually did feel that he, he bore some of the responsibility for what happened because he was not a psychologist or a counselor, and yet he sort of mm-hmm. advised that character to do things in a way that maybe wasn't, the smartest way and it made me a little bit angry with that with the teacher character yeah mr, mr. keating mm-hmm. um where did, did where did the the book of poems come from the book of poems
poems uh, just did, turned up. I think. Uh, did, the, uh, did, the, did the student find that, or did Mr. Keating leave it somewhere for them? No, I think Mr. Keating went into Robert Sean Leonard's room and left it on his desk. So that they would be able to carry on with a new generation of Dead Poets Society. Oh, see? So he, yeah. Yeah, so he I mean, was really supporting that and encouraging little, it. There is a little bit of responsibility there. And he actually kind of doesn't take his, some of his own advice because after the, uh, oh, Mr. Dalton... The student bell, after he does that, that prank in the assembly with the own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he, he goes in and talks to them about how you need to sort of think about where and when you're doing things. Yeah. And yet, I don't think he heeds his own advice a little bit in, in this movie. Well, one thing I read that might provide some insight about a little bit about this character is that in the script, uh, uh, he was, he it was written that he had cancer. And so a lot of his attitude, his seize the day attitude, comes from the fact that he's dying. And so that was in the script, and they cut it. I think they might have filmed it even, but they it was a scene where he reveals that to the students, but or they find out, and they cut it out of the movie because they thought the movie was more effective without it. I would agree. So that, that would have made me more sympathetic to him. Yeah. Well, I might have rolled my eyes even more. I'm not sure. It would have depend on how it was done. Definitely. And I, I kind of feel it would have leaned way far, too far in the melodramatic, like, yeah. emotional. Yeah, and that's what I think. I think it's better without that. Yeah. But it's all, it's all about how it's done. Yes. But I, I do think that by taking that scene out, it does totally change, like, the, the entire meaning of the movie, of, like, his relationship with the kids and his advice to them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I, the other reaction I had to it today is, again, watch it, when I watched it the first time, I probably would have only known who Robin Williams and Norman Lloyd were. Uh-huh. Norman Lloyd was the headmaster, who I think I would have known because I would have watched him on St. Elsewhere during the um. So those would have been the only two actors that I really could identify when I first watched this movie. Um, but now it's interesting to watch it and think of it in the context of other performances since then by Robin Williams, Robert Sean Leonard, Ethan Hawke, and definitely Josh Charles. Yeah. Um, who has been in a lot of interesting things, including The Good Wife and... The Masters of Sex and the really awful movie Threesome. <laughs> <laughs> and also in treatment. And in treatment, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And oh, and Kerwood Smith too, who was the dad on that seventy show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I thought that was funny. He's been playing the same, like a strict dad of the same age for like fifteen years. <laughs> but the dad, when he was the dad on that seventy show, he was much more understanding. Yeah, yeah he's a sympathetic character. It was pretty horribly rigid in this film. Yeah. 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 So that's about it. Um, those are my comments. The only other thing that I, I was thinking of was that it was had really beautiful cinematography, and the person who photographed it was named John Seal, and I think he went on to win the Oscar for The English Patient. 
Oh. Oh, interesting. Oh, I could see that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the cinematography I thought was really nice, although at the same time, like I said, it kind of annoyed me. <laughs> I like a little more edginess to my movies. Gotcha. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for for calling. Uh, we really appreciate your insights here at Hawkeyes. You're you're welcome. I it was it made me really interested to watch other to go through as you're going through and watch some of the other Ethan Hawke movies because mm-hmm. this was definitely I don't I how was was he very much in Explorers? Oh yeah, he was the main character. Yeah, he's in the Explorers. main character. Yeah. There's like three main characters and he's one of them. Is that interesting to watch? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I think it's interesting because he's so young and that he's yeah. four, 13, 14 when they filmed that. But he's still, like, uh-huh. he's his mannerisms are still very, like, yeah. the same. He does, like, specific, uh, like, he has some, like, body tics or facial tics and um, some, so, like, mannerisms and voice tra- uh, tics that are the same now as they were then. And that's very interesting to see when he's so young. What did you think of our uh, Ethan Hawke sighting, by the way? Our what? Our Ethan Hawke sighting when we went to see um, Blaze. Blaze. What about it? Oh, just like, what, you yeah, know, me. just seeing him, you know, I don't know. Oh, uh, seeing him? Yeah. I was really impressed by, by his, his demeanor. Um... And by his answers, which seem thoughtful and not, not, uh, he didn't, uh, he didn't seem like an egomaniac. He seemed like someone who was interested in his craft. And I like that. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was, I was really just impressed by what he had to say. And I wish he had the, had been able to be there a little bit longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I would definitely want to go, if I ever had an opportunity to go hear him talk again, I would definitely do that. I think we would, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's obviously I, eventually going to be a guest on this show. Yeah. If you, I, I you know, I went to see Juliet Naked. Uh-huh. Which is a movie that I found a little bit disappointing. Oh, because you were a big fan of the book, right? I, I love the novel, and I always thought it would be a great film, um, but I'm, I was disappointed in the way uh, the way they adapted it. Even though it's it's okay, but it it could have been a lot better. Except I have to say that he, he manages in the limited sort of time and space that he has in the movie. He really manages to nail what's going on with the character in that film. So I felt like he was really successful in that movie, whereas other other actors and other parts of the movie were not quite as successful. But he, he's really um, on the mark in that movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll obviously have to have you back for that that episode <laughs> when we do that. Yeah. Well, before you do that, maybe I'll reread the novel. Nice. But I have some very definite opinions about that movie. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Great. Well, I can't wait to have you back for another episode. Um, Talk to you later. (laughs) I'm always happy to talk about boyhood. 
Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we yeah. have so many opportunities for you to come on the show and talk about movies that you have feelings about. Yes, strong opinions are always encouraged. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right, thanks for, thanks for calling Bye, in. Dad. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. Great. Some good insights there. That was great. So do you do you still want to? Uh, we I think we were going through some yeah. of the earlier works. Was I too close? No, I was too close. Oh. Well, I think we were going through some of the earlier um, works of some of the other stars uh-huh. in this movie. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, we talked about Robert Sean Leonard. Um, uh, another major character, Knox Overstreet, is played by Josh Charles. Which, um, by, what a name. What, Knox, Knox Overstreet Over or Street. Josh Charles? No, Knox Overstreet. <laughs> Josh Charles, a classic two-first name yeah. type of situation. There's uh-huh. a lot of people with two-first names. Yeah. Um, Knox, I felt at some point that someone called him a name longer than Knox. Like, maybe Knox was a nickname. Mm. Um, I, I didn't catch what the longer name was that someone called him. But I uh-huh. imagine having a name that Knox is a nickname for. You know, it was like Knoxon or... Noxley, I don't know, but Noxley. <laughs> yeah, it know. sounds like like a surf brand or something. Noxley. <laughs> I'm gonna name my kid Noxley now. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so Josh Charles was 17 at the time when they filmed Dead Poet Society. I think making him the youngest dead poet, and his first role was a year earlier. He was in Hairspray, the John Waters film. Uh, as a council member named Iggy, you haven't seen Hairspray, right? No, I haven't. So Hairspray, the the council is very fun. They're uh, a group of young people that are all featured on a, a afternoon television program that's kind of like uh, um, the Ed Sullivan Show. And so there's a bunch of kids on, local kids on, that dance to popular songs. Um, and so Josh Charles would have played one of those kids. Um, Hairspray is a personal favorite of mine all versions of it so that's really fun I'm going to have to rewatch it soon so that I could look out for Josh Charles um, and then the last uh, actor whose information I have is Gail Hansen he plays uh, Charles Dalton Charlie Dalton and he was actually 29 when they filmed Dead Poet Society. Wow. So he would have been like closer to Robin Williams in age than he was. Wow. To, That's so interesting. How old was Robin Williams at the time? I think of the... he was 38. Okay. So. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. But he. Um, I. Wait, who, so who did he play? Uh, Charlie Dalton, the one with the beret and the saxophone. Okay. The one who does the prank with the phone. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Characters. Um, so his first role was in 1983 as freshman number one in Woody Allen's film Zelig. Mm, have you seen that movie? I have not actually, but I know of it because my parents are pretty big Woody Allen fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen it, but it seems like a pretty big role. Yeah. Freshman number one. Freshman number one. Well, I was once freshman number one, weren't we all? Yeah, that's so true. Um, so interesting thing. Mm-hmm research when we were doing this uh-huh. uh was <laughs> five minutes ago was um how ethan hawk was talking about how he so he plays um todd mm-hmm. and robert john leonard plays neil and they both originally wanted to play the other 
character, mm-hmm. each other's characters, and that is not what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's just play a real quick clip of Ethan Hawke talking about that. Todd Anderson was my character. It's an aspect of me that I've visited in other characters too. Somebody who has no self-confidence. And it's funny because I really had wanted to play Neil. There's the character who killed himself, is a really outgoing guy. And I was a pretty gregarious young man, you know, so I thought that I was more right for that part. And Robert Sean Leonard, who played Neil, um, thought he was more right for Todd because he was very shy and withdrawn person. And Peter had this beautiful notion, Peter Weir, that you always cast for the final color, meaning that at the end of the movie, my character needed to stand up on this desk and say, oh, Captain, my Captain. And he wanted to believe that. Said that you you have to act the shy part, but so then when the truth comes out, your real self is revealed. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I am trying to imagine now what the movie would have been like had they played the opposite roles. Right. Um, I think that I can in my head I can totally picture Ethan Hawke playing the character yeah, of Neil. Yeah. Uh, with that like kind of like one sided smile of his and. Uh, with he would have done that, there would have been a, a good amount of hair flipping. I think. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, uh, I think he would have been. I think he would have been very good in that role. But uh, so was Robert John Leonard. Yeah. Yeah. Final color. Final color. I like that turn it's of phrase. expression. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, is there more more that you want to go through for the actors' first starts? No, that's all no? I have. Okay. Them, but, yeah. When was the first time you watched this movie? Well, as my dad mentioned on that phone call, I think probably the first time I watched this movie would have been him sometime when I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then had you seen it multiple times since then? I think I've seen it at least once more since then, and then this week when we watched it again. Okay, because this was the first time I've seen this movie. What was your first, What was your take? This my being your first initial time? take. On yeah, just like you're just your like feeling about it. Like, did you like it? Did you hate it? I no, I liked it. I mean, I it I could kind of tell like, I kind of got a feeling of what kind of movie it was, mm-hmm. and it is not like, especially the kind of movie I go for necessarily. Uh huh. Um. But I, I I kind of had a feeling of like what the movie was gonna be, and it wasn't. I mean, it was you know, it's not like it was totally predictable, but it, I I did kind of know. I had a feeling of what it was. And I think it more or less was what I thought it was. Uh-huh. Um, and I enjoyed it, and I thought a lot of the performances were good. Um, but it wasn't something that I was like... It's not something that I'm I'm remarkably drawn to. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, you know. But I, I wouldn't say I was especially passionate about it or that I was, like, incredibly moved or anything like that. And, you know, it's just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, good good performances and it's kind of the impression I got. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it's not like a favorite, but I do always enjoy watching it. And I think part of what I relish in this movie is disagreeing with my dad about it Uh, because he's always been very vehemently opposed to it. And today he seems to be okay with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I remember from my childhood him disliking this movie because it was overly sentimental. It is very sentimental. It is very sentimental. Um, but I think that I've always d- really defended this movie mm-hmm. um, in any conversations with him about it. So, um, yeah, I enjoy it. And I mean, and as I'm 
a person who's a big fan of the arts. I studied film right. uh, in college, and um, I think that a lot of people who uh, who've, who have studied an art of some kind, I mean, this movie centers largely on literature and poetry, um, but a lot of people really relate to this movie because there's so much love for poetry yes. and art in this movie. So I think that's one of the things that appealed to me when I was young, and that and because I watched it when I was younger and enjoyed it then, I'm I'm kind of sentimental about it and still enjoy it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate. I do appreciate the the as someone who has a passion for the arts, as it were. Um, so I do I do appreciate that aspect of it. Yeah, Ron Williams has very good impressions too. Side note. Yes, he does. Um, that I read was improvised. That whole scene where he does the the John Wayne and the Marlon Brando. Yeah. Uh, I have a note here that says. Uh, maybe I didn't write it down. Um, but I think that fifteen percent. Oh no, maybe seventy five percent. Oh god, I gotta look that up. I'm sorry. A great deal of Robin Williams' performance was actually improvised because he came in and he started to do what was on the script and it was really stiff. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, Peter Weir, the director, encouraged him to improvise his scenes. And so then that was what was really more successful and where he really connected more with the other actors. And so they went a lot more with his improvisation than they did with what was written on the script. Right. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, I definitely that doesn't that doesn't really surprise me. I mean, it's just you because you see like a lot of the Robin Williams lines. It's like, oh, this is like a Robin Williams kind yeah. of thing. Like, oh, he's doing the impression. Like he's... the genie in Aladdin, which is all impressions. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah, basically yeah, yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah. So that's and and anytime you see Robin, like he's very much. He he definitely like grabs your attention when you watch him perform, and he he definitely has that energy about him and that's very kind of all over the place and it's very engaging to watch um yeah i found that this movie was really quotable like while i was taking notes watching this movie all of the things i wrote were like about 50 percent of the things i wrote down were just lines that keating robin williams's character mm -hmm. says um and so many of them are just so over the top melodramatic right uh when he's talking about, uh, he's teaching them about seize the day and carpe diem. Um, he says we are food for worms. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Which I mean, going back to that original, that the original script where he has cancer. Right. And that's it. It just changes right, right, so right. many yeah. of these scenes. If you think of them through the lens of this is a man who's dying. Yes. Um, we are food for worms, uh, and then shortly after that, he says. These boys are now feeding daffodils. Yes, yeah. There's a lot of reference to death. Yes. In in a lot of his scenes. He says in that same I think at that around that same time he says uh, when he's talking about beauty and poetry and art he says these these are what we stay alive for. And he says you contribute a verse to life. This is kind of what what your legacy what you legacy hope you might it might be when he's talking about those now presumably dead 
former mm-hmm. students. One thing kind of that's mentioned kind of early on in the movie is what the parents expect the the children the, the boys to all grow up into to become professionally. Um, and I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, Robert Sean Leonard's character, Neil Perry, is supposed to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. And Josh Charles's character, <laughs> Knox Overstreet, is supposed to become a lawyer. Okay. And both uh, and Josh Charles goes on to be a lawyer in The Good Wife, and right. Robert Sean Leonard goes on to be a doctor in House. So they Amazing. both fulfilled their parents' wishes Amazing. in another yeah. uh, text. <laughs> yep. That sounds, uh, yeah. yeah. That's a good observation, though. Thank you. Um, do you want to know a fun fact? Yeah. So the studio uh, had a lot of issues with Dead Poet Society. They constantly were trying to change the script and basically everything about it. They wanted to change it over and over and over again. Um, and one thing that they, one idea that they had about it is they considered turning it into a dance movie slash musical uh, called The Sultans of Strut. And it was going to be like fame. What? Yeah. So inspirational all boys school teacher movie in the style of fame. Okay. I would love to see that. Yeah, I, but, I'm sure you would. <laughs> But uh, that would be such a different movie, and the um, it was the writer who st- he stood up to the studio over and over and over again, and really defended his his screenplay, and would not allow for any changes to be made on, on anything. Did it? Did it? Was it successful initially when it came out? Uh, yeah, when the movie came out, like it was. Um, let me pull up the box office, but I do think uh, it was commercially successful. People went to see it. But uh, critically, it was not very well received. Interesting. Well, it did go on to win a Oscar. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor in a Leading Role for Robin Williams, and Best Director for Peter Weir. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Oscar it won for was Best Writing Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen for Tom Shulman, who wrote the movie. Yeah. Um, going back to the box office, the budget for this movie was $16.4 million, mm-hmm. but the box office was $235.9 million. So people were really swarming out to go see this movie. Wow, raking in the dough. Yeah. Um, but I do have some really fun quotes from some reviews that came out at the time. Oh, this is good, yeah. So, uh, there was a New York Times review by Vincent Camby that read, uh, I think this might have been one of the closing statements of the review, yet the director cannot resist tarting up the movie with the fancied effects that pass for art. Broad, eerie shots of birds taking off or landing. Night scenes prettily lighted from sources of illumination that must have been provided by the gods, along with scenes from an amateur production of A Midsummer Night's Dream in which Puck, for reasons that have more to do with the movie than the play, wears Christ's crown of thorns. So, harsh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, his, his review can be summed up in, like, 
he says that Robin Williams' performance and the complexity of his character Keating are like the only good things about the movie, and everything mm-hmm. else is like awful. Wow. Um, I, I mean, you know, call me basic, but I love those shots of the birds taking off. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's effect. I think it's effective, even if it is maybe played out. Right. And I feel like in a movie. You know, you have to suspend some amount of disbelief. And so what if there's light in a cave that shouldn't have any light? Right. You know? To me, those are things that didn't bother me about this movie. Right. right. Yeah. Um, another review that came out at the time was by Roger Ebert. Okay. He had, I have so many quotes from this review that <laughs> okay. I really enjoyed. Um, his first line was, Dead Poets Society is a collection of pious platitudes masquerading as a courageous stand in favor of something. Doing your own thing, I think. <laughs> He's so sassy. Um, he says that Keating is more of a plot device than a human being. Okay. Um, the, the society's meetings have been badly written and are dramatically shapeless, featuring a dance line to Lindsay's The Congo and various attempts to impress girls with random lines of poetry. Uh, which is funny because, as you mentioned, Tom Schulman uh, won the Academy Award for Best Screenplay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Roger Ebert was not into the screenplay. Yeah. Um, uh, he also said, the, and I do agree with this point, the movie is set in 1959, but none of these would-be bohemians have heard of Kerouac, Ginsburg, or indeed of the Beatnik movement. And I think that would have been an interesting thing to slip in there, is like if Keating was like, oh, this is like the old poetry that we're doing here, but look at these guys, see what they're doing, you know? That's true, yeah. I don't know. Which I've never thought about before until I read this review. That's true. Uh, Oh, and then the best line, he says, It is, of course, inevitable that the brilliant teacher will eventually be fired from the school, and when his students stood up on their desks to protest his dismissal, I was so moved I wanted to throw up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think there are are definitely some characters that feel like, um, like, moving caricatures and less like people Definitely. like the students i think are all fairly effective any of the main characters i think are pretty effective characters there's a lot of them so you can't go too into any of them but you know you have keating and and some of the other characters and and um that all feel pretty fleshed out mm-hmm. but any if anyone in the administration it's like, oh, this is a stodgy, like, yeah, person. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this they're supposed to be, and it's it's just like, almost like a satire of what a, yeah, like a, what a stiff school, like that would school be like. yeah. teacher is like from someone who maybe didn't go. Because I think that usually those, I mean, I I didn't know anyone like that, mm-hmm. but I imagine that they are people with feelings, you know, and not just like pantomimes of mean mm-hmm. you know 
Well, I think actually the screenplay was based on the screenwriter's own experience. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, and that Keating was based on a combination of two teachers that he had, but that he did go to a school similar to Welton. Okay. Um, and so maybe the like the caricatures of the of the teachers were because his perspective would have been that of a right, student who right. felt oppressed or that they were just like stodgy old people and that's all they were right you know yeah yeah but i i mean i guess i understand the point of playing up the differences between keating he's like mm-hmm. so like wild and rebellious and then the the stodgy sort of traditional types but i think that like a movie that does like I, if it, to me, like a movie that does that kind of dynamic very interestingly, and this is not really related, but is Doubt mm. with um, with Meryl Streep, Phyllis Moore Hoffman, um, and um, Viola Davis. Viola Davis and um, uh, Amy Adams. Amy Adams, yeah. Where you have a character like Meryl Streep, who she's like the stiff, stiff type of uh, administration kind of figure. But she is very, there's a lot of depth to her and there's a lot of like reasons why she does the things that she does. And obviously we don't have time in this movie to spend with all of the different uh, characters. But, you know, I think that like to see that that kind of dynamic is like, oh, this is like, these are real people, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess that's kind of, and I I think that's one of the things is when you watch a Robin Williams, a lot of his movies, there's a lot of that kind of hyperbole. Mm-hmm. of people right yeah like i mean Ms. Doubtfire, like and um and one of the, i think one of his most interesting movies is uh uh insomnia which was directed by chris nolan oh, it's the uh-huh. only movie i've seen where robin williams is i haven't seen that many of his movies but it's one of the only movies i've seen where he's played against type mm-hmm. he's he plays a serial killer in that movie and he's very very good at it mm-hmm. uh he's very he fills that role really really well and he and it, but it's also there's also like an element of hyperbole there in part because it's like a chris nolan movie and it's you know al pacino and like hillary swank and it's like made in the early 2000s like there's definitely the elements of hyperbole there but it's like done in a different kind of way obviously than this because this is sort of inspirational and that's very dark procedural crime drama type movie speaking of not having time enough time to get into things um that was one of the main criticisms i think of the off-broadway stage play of uh of dead poet society that took place that was uh in theaters uh, on uh, off-broadway in 2016 and jason sudeikis played keating Oh wow! Yeah, and um, and for and it ran, I think, only for a few months, and then didn't make it to Broadway. And I think part of the issue was that there were, you know, similarly to in this movie, and kind of like you were saying, how we didn't have enough opportunity to get into all of the characters. I think that was maybe the issue with right. the, with the stage play. Um, but I do think that Jason Sudeikis would make it really interesting. Keating. Yeah. That's something I would like to see. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, I have a uh, fun thing we can listen to if you're interested. Sure. So I tried my hardest to find every 
Oh, Captain, my Captain parody or reference in <laughs> other t- in TV shows. Okay, okay. Um, so that's I have them. Almost what? That's like twenty something years of nineteen eighty nine. That's thirty years of. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, it was actually really hard to search for them. Uh huh. So I only pulled up eight. Okay. All right. So this isn't gonna take too as long as you might think. Okay. I feel I know that there are more out there. I'm sure. Yeah. That I just wasn't able to find. Um, some of these were from my own recollection, and some of these I did some extensive googling. And if you have any, if if the listeners yes, have any, listeners they can feel free to to send send anything to us. Because even if we're not talking about this movie, next week, you know, yeah, we could still always throw it. I mean, this is this the the purpose of this podcast is not we're just we're not only focusing on the individual movie for each one. We're trying to get a sort a of broader composite of Ethan Hawke movies. As we go along. So there's nothing wrong with talking about earlier movies and later episodes. So this first clip is from uh, Bunheads, from the mid-season finale of the first season of Bunheads. Well, the first and only season of Bunheads. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, Captain, my Captain. I don't know what that means. Just get up. I don't watch cable. You know, at the end of the movie, the guy had to leave anyhow, right? Thank you, boys. Thank you, girls. Thank you. So what what was happening in that scene? So in that scene... (laughs) So they just put on a production of The Nutcracker... Um, and so between, uh, between different scenes of the Nutcracker, uh, um, uh, the dancers were backstage and they all needed hairspray to get their hair back in place so that they were ready to keep dancing. Um, and Michelle, their teacher played by Sutton Foster, she goes into her bag and she pulls out what she thinks is hairspray, but actually it's mace. And she accidentally maces all of the students and herself. And so they start running back out on stage trying to get the show back on, but they can't see anything. So they're just like awkwardly dancing and running into each other and they're all like blind. Nice. Uh, And so they've all had to go to the hospital so they could get medical attention for the macing. And, um, And the parents want Michelle to be fired and not teach their children anymore, which is pretty understandable. Understandable, yeah. Um, but the girls are supporting her and right. stand up and do the classic, oh, Captain, my Captain. Nice. They stand up on their chairs, not their desks, but mm. it's a very similar look. The hospital lobby is. Yeah. Yeah, in high school, um, I was. it was like high school graduation, and they were like checking our <laughs> bags if we had any. Uh-huh. And um, so I don't remember who it was. But anyway, someone had this girl had like a mace in her bag. Oh. <laughs> and she and she didn't know what to do with it. We were sitting next to a wall and so there's like a like bushes, you know, just shrubbery along the side of the thing and she just uh-huh. like hid her thing there and she just came back for it later. Amazing. Yeah. Um okay, well let's cut to the next of sure. Captain My Captain. So this is from an episode of Family Guy. Um <laughs> which uh References everything. Yes. So it was bound to happen. Yeah. And that was, this was the, the first one that I found by Googling mm-hmm. because 
They reference everything, so here we go. Oh, Captain, my Captain! No, you're actually misunderstanding. Oh, Captain, my Captain! Well, if it works for you, I guess. Uh... Oh, Captain, my Captain! Yeah, what the hell? Be the best damn hooker you can be. Oh, Captain, my Captain! In your case, I'd get the money up front. Classy. Classy <laughs> as always. Um, Sounds so, like a family guy. Yeah. Uh, Brian, right? The dog? I don't know. I don't watch Family Guy. Okay, I think it's Brian. I don't. I've I've have actually seen a lot of Family Guy, okay. but only because it was like on after something else, and then I ended up watching it on TBS in mm -hmm. syndication. Yeah, TBS uh, funny something. What's their slogan? Oh no, always on. No, that's not. That's what I've seen. We're funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, TBS. We're funny. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah, but anyway, so Brian somehow becomes a substitute teacher at the at the high school, okay. and uh, he, I think he's like demeaning the children, and then they're in, inspired, or he, because he says that they're oh he says that they're all gonna end up being like hookers and uh, garbage men, and mm -hmm. and then they're they're inspired by that because no teacher has ever told them they could do anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a pretty funny scene. But it is kind of funny, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, this next one is from, oh, this next one is from Saturday Night Live. Uh, this is a sketch called Farewell, Mr. Bunting. I don't have the entire thing playing, but um, enough of it. I sing my song for all to hear. Sit down this instant. I sing my song for all to hear. I will have you both expelled if you do not sit down immediately. Mr. Bunting, I sing please. my song for all to hear. I sing my song for all to hear. I sing my song. was a pretty direct parody of uh, of Dead Poet Society in which Fred Armisen plays a teacher named uh, Mr. Bunting. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so he's he's collecting his things, just like in that last scene of Dead Poet Society, he's collecting his things and leaving, and they all stand up on their desks, and uh, it's not, oh, Captain, my captain, but it's very similar. Mm -hmm. And they're all standing up, and then I think Pete Davidson stands up and he starts to say it, but his where he stands up is directly under a ceiling fan. <laughs> so he's decapitated, and his head flies into Fred Armisen's hands. Yeah. And there's blood everywhere. Yeah, it's incredibly graphic. Yeah, it's very funny, though. And then Fred Armisen's like, well, I still have to go. Yeah, he's like, you got my email, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So this next one is from How I Met Your Mother, I believe. But I guess you're right. You haven't learned anything. Sorry to have wasted your time. Oh, Captain, my Captain! How good was Dead Poet Society? I know, right? The end, tears. So, um, that's after... That's in... How I Met Your Mother, after Ted Mosby teaches Barney everything there is to know about um, Robin, who's a woman that they both had feelings for. Um, so he does a, a, 
an intensive lesson on everything Robin. And at the end, Barney stands up and says, oh, Captain, my captain. Um, but I love that they just talk about the movie then after that. Instead of, instead of going all the way, committing to the parody, mm. they, they break it by, right, right, right. by just discussing the movie. The ending of How I Met Your Mother, though. Ugh. Wow. Just last season didn't, doesn't exist. Didn't even watch the show. I know. And I'm mad about it. Yeah. Um, this next clip is from My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. <laughs> oh, dragon, my dragon! Spike? What did you do? <laughs> um... <laughs> So, uh, Toilet Sparkle is a teacher at the school, and uh, her dragon friend Spike, I think, took over the class for a little bit, and uh, just in that short period of time, the entire class of ponies has pledged their allegiance to Spike the Dragon, uh, and demonstrates that by doing a dragon my dragon. Who's your favorite pony? Fluttershy. Fluttershy. Obviously. She's the best one. Sorry, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Yeah step two on that yeah uh toilet sparkle is the worst one ouch any twilight sparkle fans out there yep send us your tweets yeah send us your 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 oh, i gotta set up twitter <laughs> yeah it's uh, just find us on instagram yeah, DM, dm us, us on instagram with if you're your a twilight angry sparkle fan. twilight sparkle or don't, really. or don't yeah this is not a show about twilight sparkle yeah but it could be um oh okay so this next clip is from silicon valley which is a show i haven't watched but i still thought this was funny oh congratulations my captain oh captain my captain rise up and hear the bells rise up for you the flag is flung for you the bugle trills all right dismissed (laughs) (laughs) i yeah another really good approach to that Piece because it's he's he's being over the top sentimental and right. Thomas Middleditch is just like all right let's not do this right now. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Okay, and then I think. Oh no, I have two more. Nice. Okay, um, this next one is from Suits. Make your legal lives extraordinary. Oh, Captain, my Captain. <laughs> So, that's <laughs> uh, short. Yeah, that was short. Uh, one of the, one of the lawyers, he's on his way out. He's leaving the firm, and he makes a a big speech that is entirely just Robin Williams quotes from <laughs> Dead Poets Society. Um, and uh, the main suit boy, suit boy, yeah, suit <laughs> whose boy. name I can't, suit boy. Um, yeah, he, suit boy Esquire. Yeah, yeah suit boy Esquire, uh, the one who pretends to be a lawyer, but he's not really a lawyer. I don't know. Anyway, I haven't seen Suits. Yeah, I, haven't seen I watched the first episode, I and I was that... like, this isn't as good as White Collar, so I didn't keep watching it. Isn't Wasn't Meghan Markle in? Yeah, Meghan so Markle. You've, you've insulted the, the queen now. Du- the you've Duchess ins- of Sussex. You've insulted the crown. Oh, yeah. I don't know how much the, the show that Meghan cares Markle. About, about Suits. It's a royal matter. You know that, you know that like, if you uh, kill a swan in... On English territory, it's a it's a offense against the queen. Yeah, I think I did know that. Yeah, yeah. so they're very sensitive over there. That's true. So if you insult the show that Meghan Markle was in, yeah, her 
wonderfulness, the Duchess of Sussex? Mm-hmm. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, Queen. <laughs> and Megan do Michael. You, what do you call... And so the boy. Queen is your, your highness, right? Yes. So what do you call, like, a duchess? What do you call a prince? Um, do you call... Do you call Prince Harry? My leash. <laughs> um, Is there like a title? Uh, you're, it's, I think princes are still your highness, but I think dukes and duchesses are something different. It's like you're, um, I don't know. I'm Googling how out. to address a duchess. Your grace. Your grace. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. What about a duke? Same. Same? Same all the way. Nice. Okay. Um, last Last one. This is from uh, the Goldbergs. They had an episode that might have been called Oh, Captain, My Captain. I don't know. It's, this is from the, the promo for the episode. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, January 4th, a new Goldbergs inspired by Dead Poets Society. Oh, schmoopy, my schmoopy! More like Dumb Poets Society. More like Dumb Poets Society. Boy. Boy, oh boy. What a promo. What a promo. Yeah. Maybe um, it's a good show. I don't know. Maybe it's just not a great promo. Yeah, I think that might be the case. I don't know what schmoopy means. Yeah, I assume it means something to fans something of the show. Something in the show. Fans of the, sh- fans of the Goldbergs. Please write in. Write in. Let Explain. us know. Yeah, let, let us, us know. know about that episode of the Goldbergs. Yeah. We want to know. Um, okay, so let's get back to Ethan Hawke, because that's what this podcast is really all about. I feel like we haven't really talked that much about him. Yeah. Um, did you have any outstanding thoughts about Ethan Hawke's performance in this movie? I thought he was good. It's like an understated kind of... I mean, it's like he's... One of the main characters. Yes. And as I alluded to earlier, um, he doesn't have a ton of dialogue. He doesn't yeah, talk I think that much. In the first like thirty minutes, I wrote this down. He has like one line. Yeah. He only that one time when he's meeting maybe the the headmaster of the school mm-hmm. with his parents, and he kind of stutters his way through one line. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. I think yeah. that's really it for the first half hour of the movie. Yeah, he really doesn't talk that much. So most of his performance, which of course he makes up for in um, in the before series, where he, <laughs> where talks, he talks too nonstop. much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have fun. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, you guys yeah, are but... gonna be in for a real treat when we get to the before sunset, or before sunrise, and then before sunset, and then before afternoon delight. <laughs> before afternoon delight yeah the thrilling finale when they finally have sex um no um yeah he doesn't talk much and and so his performance is really kind of like a quiet thing and his character is shy and he sort of finds himself a little bit later i guess mm-hmm. do you have that full poem that he reads or that he improvises in class no, I don't. Oh, okay. I was hoping maybe you did. I can look it up probably. Okay. Um, why don't you just talk a little bit about that scene? Yeah, so he he gets called out 
Friday before class ends uh, about because they have a project where they have to compose their original poem and present it before the class. And then Ethan Hawke, um, he is very shy. He doesn't even like to speak up in Dead Poet Society meetings, uh, which is only a group of just a small amount of his peers who are his friends, and he doesn't even want to speak up then. Uh, and so Keating tells him that he's, you know, he calls him out basically at the end of class. He's like, oh, you know, I know I picked this assignment because I know it's going to terrify you or something along those lines. And he comes up to the stage uh, on you know, Monday when he's supposed to have composed the poem, and he says he didn't come up with anything. And so Robin Williams basically forces him to basically kind of improvise on the spot, and he looks at a picture of Walt Whitman, and he says, what does this guy look like to you? And he calls him a madman or something like that, and then mm-hmm. he basically improvises a poem from there. Yeah, I have the full poem here. Uh, He says, I close my eyes, and this image floats beside me, a sweaty-toothed madman with a stare that pounds my brain. His hands reach out and choke me, and all the time he's mumbling, mumbling truth. Truth is like a blanket that always leaves your feet cold. You push it, stretch it, it'll never be enough. You kick at it, beat it, it'll never cover any of us. From the moment we enter crying to the moment we leave dying, it will just cover your face as you wail and cry and scream. So no direct, as we referenced earlier, no direct um, references to the beats. But that Mm -hmm. feels like it could kind of be a beat poet kind of poem. I mean, it's like sort of you know it's not howling against society or whatever (laughs) yeah Uh, Moloch 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 yes yeah that sort of thing um I'm with you in rock what is it Rockland oh god that's bad I should know that yeah that's fine (sighs) we'll just edit it later just just like you know like a clip of it Mm -hmm. imposed over your own voice so it sounds very natural Mm -hmm. yeah so natural yeah um, yeah, I, I agree. It does sound kind I'm of I'm with you in Sam Rockwell. Jeez. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, my gay love poem about Sam Rockwell. And nice. Sam Rockwell and Ethan Hawke been in anything together? Uh, he was in Blaze. Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell was one of the... Oh, right, the yeah, 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 yeah. Record yeah. label guys in yeah, Blaze. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I had a quick, easy answer for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's my love poem about Ethan Hawke and Sam Rockwell. Yeah. I'm with you in Sam Rockwell. <laughs> Ooh. <sighs> Whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I liked that scene a lot. It was kind of, they used the camera in a really interesting way because Robin Williams is covering Ethan Hawke's eyes and spinning him around to disorient him. Mm-hmm. And the camera spins around with them too, which leaves you with a disoriented feeling. So you're kind of with Ethan Hawke's character um, in that moment. And I thought that was very effective. Mm-hmm. So what were your takeaways of, of, of Ethan Hawke's performance overall? Um... I liked it. I thought, no, I mean, I thought he was great. I think he's always great. Um, There were some things about 
his character and his character's relationship with Neil, Robert Sean Leonard's character, mm-hmm. that kind of confused me. Um, these are more character notes, not like acting. Okay. But um, I didn't really understand. I mean, I know that they're roommates, but I think this does kind of go back to the things that we don't see. Right. Um, where he doesn't talk that much and he turns down hanging hanging out with them a yeah. few times and he yeah. does go to that first dead poet society meeting and doesn't say anything um so you never really see him share a conversation with with neil early on and right. then when when neil auditions for that midsummer night's dream yeah uh role he uh he really brings him down in a way that seems really familiar right you know what i mean like he he says neil is very excited about this and he comes back to their shared room and is like and is jumping all over the place and he's really excited about it but immediately uh ethan Hawke's character todd just brings him down he's like yeah but what about your dad like how are you gonna get away with this right which is something that I didn't expect from him, considering that I've never seen them really share more than a couple sentences. Right. They basically don't even know each other. Yeah. So I think that either something was cut from the movie. Right. Or we're just supposed to accept that they... Quickly they're quickly become mm-hmm, friends. That despite. because they're roommates or like something we didn't see happened to make them very close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I also kind of thought at a later point, maybe that scene where it's uh, Todd's birthday and he gets that um, desk that set. desk set. I thought that maybe there was like a, a romance thing between them that might have been cut out, or that couldn't make it into the movie because it was like because it was nineteen eighty nine and Disney was the studio that was producing. It was Buena Vista, but Buena Vista was owned by Disney. Right. Um. So, but there, there's something about the way that they played those characters. Maybe it was just the way that they were playing it mm-hmm. um, that really seemed like there could have been something going on between them. Yeah. Something romantic. I don't know. Yeah. Is it a Christian school? Yes, because they... Uh, do they say grace before right, they kneel? Right, right. I mean, it was also 1959, so maybe that was just more the what norm. Yeah. Um, but it does seem like religious part, and where they have all of their assemblies and school meetings is like a it's a chapel. Mm-hmm. Well, so as you mentioned earlier about how, um, do we want to have a little bit of uh, uh, Robin Williams a little bit about how he yeah played the character. Mm-hmm. Okay. Working with Robin Williams, everyone loves Robin Williams. You, I mean, you've worked uh, yeah, on the night listener, how yeah. and lovely he is, and he's been mm-hmm. on here, and everyone loved him. But your your relationship with him on, on set sounded a, a, a bit fractious. Well, he was incredibly funny, right? And he was very relaxed and very inventive. And he would get up, and he was playing this teacher, and he would just improv constantly all day long. And the more the crew laughed, the more he encouraged he was. Uh, he would go, and I was. <laughs> I really wanted to be a serious actor. 
You know, I really was, I had, I had read Stanislavski and I had what was supposed to be in my pockets and I really, you know, really wanted to be in character and I really didn't want to laugh. And so the, the, more, the more I didn't laugh, the more insane he got and would make fun of me. Oh, this one doesn't want to laugh. And the more smoke would come out of my ears. And I'm like, he didn't understand. I was trying to do a good job. You know, I want to be Montgomery Clift over here. You're trying to be Zero Mustel or something. And, 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 and uh, so I thought he hated me because he just constantly would lay into me. No sooner would action start than he would lay into Todd over here. That was my character's name. And... Uh, and then when the movie was over, I had to go back to school, and I got this call, and it was from a big Hollywood agent. You know, this guy says, I'm, I'm Robin Williams' agent, and he says that you're going to be somebody, and that I should sign you. And I was like, really? And I, uh, so he got me my first agent, who's still wow. my agent now. So that's interesting. That I think I just noticed about that is that he talks about how he was trying to be a serious actor, and one of the things is, like, what does this character have in his pockets? That's something he talked about earlier when he was doing Explorers. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember this clip, yeah. but there's a clip where River Phoenix is talking about, or he's talking about River Phoenix, yeah. and how River Phoenix was, he was very impressed by him because he seemed like a very serious actor. And that was something that he did. He's like, oh, like what, what's in my character's part? I mean, I, I think that's like a thing that maybe you, you learn in acting yeah. or something like that, but that's something that he's observed with River Phoenix. Like, oh, what does like my a, character... A method acting. Right. What does my character have in, have in his pockets? And that's, he was impressed by River Phoenix's seriousness about it. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's something that he that's something he clearly took with the next movie that he yeah. made, which was this one, Dead Poet Society, and that level of seriousness that he had. So that's interesting. Yeah. Well, should we talk about uh, um, a, a plot line in this movie that I think maybe hasn't aged very well? Yes, let's. So Josh Charles's character knocks over street. Um, goes to dinner at a family friend's house mm -hmm. and he meets a young woman named Chris who's dating the son of the of the family who he's having dinner with. Right. Um she uh goes to the local school, the pub the public school. Um and he meets her at this dinner and is immediately infatuated with her. Right. Um, he goes back and he tells all the boys about her and he says that the worst thing has happened to him, that he's fallen in love. Right. Um. Yeah. And he proceeds to basically just like harass her. First off, he, he keeps referencing the fact that he's in love with her, which yeah, is which... kind of impossible because he just met her. He's never had a conversation with her basically. Yeah. He he's just like, oh, she's her. just the most beautiful girl. And he proceeds to do stuff that is immensely creepy. Um, he, oh, what it is is he calls her. So the, which is fine. I mean, that's a normal yeah. thing. Um, the, the other classmates encourage him to call her. And I think that's the, I guess maybe that's the second time we see them have an interaction. Mm -hmm. So he, he goes to the phone, he calls her, and she invites him to a party. That, mm -hmm. that they're having um, and he when he's at the party um, he gets drunk or these other guys get him drunk yeah um, but he is inebriated and he sees her lying on like unconscious or asleep on yeah. a couch and he sits next to her and he starts touching her hair 
Yeah. And then leans down to kiss her forehead. Yeah. Um, yikes. Yikes. Yeah, I think I have that exact note. Yikes, Josh! Exclamation mark in reference to the actor Josh Charles. Yeah. Get a grip. That's my comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's touching her head and kisses her forehead. And then Chet, who is boyfriend, beats him up. That's another character who I think is sort of played as like a caricature. Like he's he's yeah. wearing the varsity jacket. He's tough. His name is Chet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only like one good Chet I can think of, which is Chet Baker. No offenses to all the Chets of the world. I hope you're yeah. living your best lives. But Chet is kind of like the kind of name where you're like, oh, he's... Mm-hmm. Embodies like toxic white male masculinity yeah, 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 yeah. of the 1960s or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So Chet beats him up. Um, and that's kind of... And, and then she, she like rushes to his defense, basically. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, get off of, get off of him. Which mimics the scene we saw in the film Explorers, <gasps> in which Ethan Hawke's character is being beaten up. And the girl... She doesn't come to his defense necessarily, but she's standing there looking kind of sorry for him. Mm-hmm. They make eye contact. Yeah. And she has sympathy and feeling for him despite the fact that he's creepy to her. Yeah. He's creepy to her in that movie, and then Josh Charles's character is creepy to this girl in that movie as well, in, in Dead Poet Society as well. Mm-hmm. This is, I think this is a little worse. Yes, I, I mean, agree. Because he's young, he's like he's younger, younger and he doesn't do anything. He doesn't like, touch her or anything like that yeah he like floats to her bedroom window using the space technology yeah which is creepy but he doesn't like touch her while she's sleeping that's like a very like real visceral gross thing yeah and and then he goes on uh to he even though it's pretty clear that he shouldn't continue to pursue her she he goes to her school and he brings her flowers and she refuses them and keeps telling him that he needs to go away. Yeah. Um, and when she goes in, the bell rings and she goes into class because right. it's time for her to be in class. And he follows her inside with the flowers and insists that she listen to a poem that he wrote for her. Yeah. Um, not cool. Not cool. That was my yeah. note. That's basically what they use. I mean, that's kind of a lot of what they use the poems for. Like they, when they're meeting in... Um, Mm-hmm. in the dead poet society in the cave or whatever yeah they he's like he reads a line to her it's like shakespeare i think it's like a very famous oh, i don't yeah, know exactly Charlie. what the line is but yeah. he, he says a very f- famous um i don't remember what the line was um shall i compare thee to a summer's right day? right yeah, yeah yeah and then she doesn't know what it is because she's yeah, a female girls and she can't are dumb, know yeah. so they don't know that poetry exists or yeah. that shakespeare and she's like, is oh did thing. you he's like oh i came up with that for you came up came up with that for you yeah uh, and then he does another line to the other girl and she's like oh you know mm-hmm. he's like plenty more where that came from so basically they're all they kind of are all using poetry as a way to, to i guess except for to woo women yeah neil except takes it neil, seriously yeah. and ethan hawk i think takes it seriously yeah but a lot of them are just using it for you know yeah so there's that um one note I wrote just says, she's got a point. Do you remember what that was about? Yes, I know I that we do. looked at each other I and do. said the same thing. What it was was that he, she comes into the class, the oh, yeah. building, the student hall or whatever, where the at boys are school. staying at, at his school. And 
he's like, oh, he tries to like push her back outside they, to have the conversation outside. And he's like, oh, you can't be in here. And she's like, oh, so it's fine when you come to my school or whatever. And, that, and it's mm-hmm. like, that, that's, that's where we were both like, oh, yeah, she has a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he, so he, they're all about to go see Neil's production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. And she's going to because she has a friend who's in the play. Um, and he asked her to go with him. Yeah. Um, and she says no, but he continues to ask her, and he says, we'll just go on this one date, and if you don't like me, I'll, yeah. I'll go away. And then yeah. he says, yeah. dead poet's honor, like, that should mean something to her. Right. Like, yeah. he's just, yeah. Yeah, it's, and then that's, that's the other part that I was like, oh, yeah, so Chet's just a, a cardboard cutout, because it's like, it's like, oh, of course he can't enjoy poetry, because he's the jock with the yeah. varsity jacket. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like, oh, he's not going to enjoy it. So she goes with him. Yeah. Which is kind of, which is another, like, one of those things where it's like, oh, he's just a caricature. Like, he can't be a full person. He has the varsity jacket, and he's tough, and he's dating the cute girl mm-hmm. that the nerd likes. So he can't like poetry, you know? Yeah. And I just, I really hate that she let Knox slash Josh Charles go with her. Yeah. God, it just kills me. Yeah. So that's another thing that has not aged terribly well, yeah. Oh, and then I think um, one thing that maybe we could look into this in every episode. On the first episode, we discussed how that uh, explorers did not pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> I think we can really firmly say that uh, Dead Poet Society does not pass the Bechdel test either. Do you, right. There were. What what is it? Does it have to be that two, two women are talking women to each other? Talk to each other about something that is not a romantic relationship with a man, or that and is not about there, a man. And there, there should presumably be no men in that conversation. Um, yeah, I think so. Like it's just a scene with just at, at least two women or something. I think so. Presumably. Well. Because there is a scene where they're in the cave. There's a scene with the two girls in the cave, but yeah. they're not really talking to each other. Well, that's true. They're both just kind of there. Yeah, that's true. So I don't think that counts as two women yeah. talking to well, each other. So the... And they're there for like romantic purposes because he's brought them there as like to show off to them. Yeah, so yeah. it wouldn't surprise me that this movie would have would not pass the Bechdel test just in the sense that it is a movie about an all boys school. Yeah. And that's sort of the focus of it. And that's that in itself I don't think is much of a problem. But the like the limited gender politics it does have are kind of not amazing just based on how he he pursues the girl and behaves very manipulative and creepy way and it's played off as like oh he's a romantic or whatever um one thing that happens in this movie is possibly my least favorite thing that happens in any movie or tv show it's when someone is on stage performing and they look out into the audience and they make eye contact. Like they can find the person that they're looking for. They see them and they make eye contact with them. This is my least favorite thing because it is so unrealistic. When you're on a stage and you're performing, you're having, you have probably a light shining directly at you, a really bright light, either from the bottom of the stage pointing up at you or a spotlight pointing down at you. And this makes it so that you can't, and the house lights are probably dark. Right. So you should not be able to see a single person that's out there. Right. And time and time again, movies and TV shows use this to show that there is some emotional uh, 
uh, interaction happening between the character who's on stage performing yeah. and the character who's out in the audience watching them. This is my least favorite thing. Yeah. And this happens between Neil and his father. Stan, played by Red. Yes, Red played Foreman. by Red Foreman. Yeah, in a very Red Foreman-esque performance. But as we talked about, it's, yeah. he's a lot less sympathetic than Red Foreman. Yeah. Um, but, and then I guess we have to talk about what happens after Midsummer Night's Dream. Neil goes home. Right. And his father tells him that he's going to send him to military school and that he will go on to college and he will become a doctor. Mm-hmm. And Neil is so distraught at this fact that he commits suicide by shooting himself with his father's gun. Yeah. That was one thing that I was... Uh, and there's also this the thing with sort of Jesus iconography. Yes. Which is a little bit... Heavy-handed. Heavy-handed, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he um, takes his shirt off. Takes his shirt off, and yeah. He, he like, has, stands by the window, and then he goes downstairs. Finds and he has the wreath of thorns on his head. Right, which he was was there from his performance, but it's it's mm-hmm. not it's not like an, a necessary part of the puck character. Like, he doesn't have yeah. to have the wreath of thorns. It's just supposed to be the... Yeah, he doesn't have to have that, and also, like, he probably shouldn't have brought it home if you're really thinking about <laughs> how plays work. You know, you leave the costume that's true. at the, yeah, the that's theater. True. Yeah, and then he, he, like, his dad wakes up to the sound of something as if mm-hmm. it's, like, a door creaking open, but it's a gunshot. Yeah. That's the thing, is that even if it's a big house, if a gun goes off in a house... It's not like you're just going to be like, oh, was that a noise? You're going to be like, oh, shit, a gun went off in the house. That's true. He was asleep, though. So yeah, but he... it's a gun. It's not like... Yeah. He, he like, very gently wakes up like, oh, was that something? And then his his, wife, his mother doesn't wake up at all. I was like, I, I just... That just seems very improbable to me that, like, a gun would go off. Mm-hmm. And you would... Inside your own house, and you wouldn't... Well, I think that he was... I... I think kind of got the feeling from the way that he immediately got up out of bed mm-hmm. and was searching for Neil and like the like just the the level of anxiety that he seemed to have when he woke up hearing that sound I think that maybe he thought it was a gunshot and was just not really accepting it yeah not but, that he but thought the that mother Neil... didn't even wake up at all yeah I think I don't, it's a silly it's sleepers. like a nitpicky thing it's a nitpicky yeah. thing but I just feel like if a gun goes out it goes off inside a house like you probably gonna wake up. Yeah, I don't know. I've never heard a gun in person, and I think the only the only like gun sound I've ever heard is in a TV show mm-hmm. and, or a movie, and those are much louder than they are in real life. So maybe maybe you're right. To to that's what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Again, I, yeah, I don't know. know. I have I no idea what a gun sounds like. Sound IRL either. Yeah. Okay. Um. What do we got? Oh, and then, um, so the boys all find out. They The boys all find out, and they go to Todd, Ethan Hawke's room. Yes. And they wake him up, and they let him know that uh, that Neil killed himself. Yes. And they have an emotional scene where they all run out into the snow. Mm-hmm. And Ethan Hawke says, so beautiful. Yes, I wrote that down, too. Which I think is perhaps... The most Ethan Hawke line in this movie, but yeah. th- there's not a ton to work with. That's the thing. There's yeah, not a ton why... to work with. It could arguably be "Oh, Captain, My Captain," but that's kind of yeah. It's it's hard to really. But achieve. it's hard because that like came from Keating. Like it wasn't. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's iconic now, but yeah. it's not like indelible with his character necessarily. Um, yeah, I think that that actually would have been a really interesting place for the movie to end when they're out in the snow. What if it's just, I, I, when I was, when we were watching it, I was watching it and I was like, this would have been a strong and hard ending. Yeah. If he's running out and the boys are all watching him run out further into the snow, he goes out and he vomits and he's so overcome with emotion and he just runs out further into the snow in his pajamas and his coat. Wow. I think that would have been a really strong way to end the movie. It would have been very ordinary people. Mm-hmm. Like, everything is bad. Nothing is resolved. Right. Strong ending. That's where I would have ended it if I were making this movie. Wow. I would not have the oh, wow. Captain by Captain scene. Wow. Probably would have gotten better reviews. Might have. But made less money. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> people would have been really uncomfortable, and they would have all told their friends... Wow, I just saw this movie that made me so uncomfortable. He's nervous. <laughs> um, I thought it, I was almost prompted my dad to say, does Robert Sean Leonard make you nervous? Because <laughs> he does. What fun. Yeah, it's genetic. It's from both of my parents. <laughs> just actors making you nervous? Yeah. Who are some actors that make you nervous? Um, off the top of your head, just I don't, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, I can think. I mean, my mom is made very nervous by Laura Linney, mm-hmm. um, and my dad is made nervous by Robert Tom Leonard. <laughs> um, I can't think of an actor specifically that makes me nervous. There are things that happen that make me nervous, you know, mm-hmm. in yeah. movies. Yeah, 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 things that make me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but I can't think of, of a specific actor offhand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, can you think of one that I've said? No, no. I guess it is more about... It's it's more about things, things that, that happen. happen. Yeah. yeah. Drinks. Drinks. Me soda. Yep. Um, oh, okay. So one note that I had was I found, and I think this is pro- probably also why I thought maybe there was a, rom- a romantic thing between Neil and Todd, mm-hmm. is that I found a lot of similarities between this movie and the film Lost and Delirious. Uh-huh. Do you know what that is? No. So that's a movie with um, Misha, a young Misha Barton okay. and uh, Piper Perabo. Also, these are, and it's amazing to see these girls like so young. They were a similar age, probably like 16, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's Misha Barton, Piper Perabo, and Jessica Perret, who was in Mad Men later. Um, and it's a, also takes place at a boarding school, um, an all girl. It, this is, and this is an all girls bo- boarding school. So Piper Perabo and Jessica Perret are in a relationship, um, like secretly, they're together. And Misha Barton is uh, new to the school, and she becomes their roommate. And so she sleeps in the same room as them, and she like kind of notice she notices that their relationship is happening, but doesn't say anything. And she like just kind of pretends to sleep while they're you know making out or whatever. Mm. And um, and so she. Just they come become like a weird family, um, in that kind of like close relate and 
kind of similar to Dead Poets Society, I think really close relationships are made by young people who go to boarding schools. Right. Like groups of same young same-sex people who are like live together, eat together, go to school together, you know. And so, <clears throat> um, and uh, so Jessica, Jessica Perez's younger sister, played by um, Emily Van Camp, who's in The Resident and was in Revenge and Everwood. Um, Sorry. Okay. <laughs> it means nothing to me. Oh, man. I was just watching The Resident today, so it's very resonant for me. Um, resident? Resident? Anyway. Um, she, what? Resonant and Resident sound really similar. Resident and what? Resonant. Resonant. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I said I couldn't even tell the difference. That's how, <laughs> anyway, that's how so Emily Van Camp is uh, Jessica Prey's younger sister, and she walks in on them, and she finds that Jessica Prey and uh, Piper Perabo's characters are in a relationship, and um, then they split up, and Piper Perabo is heartbroken, and there's a lot of poetry involved. Uh, not <laughs> when did this movie come out? Uh, this movie came out in 2001. Okay. Um... So there's a lot of poetry involved, and she's really depressed and dramatic. And there's a scene where she... This is a spoiler alert for Lost and Delirious. If you want to watch this movie and not be spoiled, please skip ahead about 30 seconds. So there's a scene at the end of the movie where she's she's nursed this, like, crow back to health. And so she, she stands up on top of the roof of the school, and everyone's standing around watching her, and she sets the crow free... And she's reciting this poem, or she's like, and she's just like belting about like love and like heartbreak, and wow. and she jumps off and kills herself. Damn. So I, to me, there were like a lot of uh, similarities between <clears throat> uh, Lost and Delirious and a Poet Society. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, I didn't get a, a, I wasn't spared the spoiler. Yeah, sorry. I can't skip ahead 30 seconds. No, it ha- it happened to me. I lived that experience. <laughs> that spoiler just thrown in my face. I mean, are you really excited to watch it? No, but that reminds me. about Misha Barton in 2001. Maybe. I don't know. Well, you now don't even I'll... know who Emily Van Camp was. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> that just reminds me of a movie, a different movie, The Lady Killers. There's a scene in which. Spoiler alert! Um, a bird lands on a statue and the statue slips off, hits character in the head, and the character falls off the ledge and dies. But it's played for laughs. Wow. Yeah, it's a Joel and Ethan Coen movie. Probably one of their worst ones, but... Interesting, I've never seen it. It's so vulgar, but it's also pretty poetic. I don't know. There's po- There's a lot of poetry there. This like mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe stuff. Yeah. The crow. You know, Raven. Raven. Whatever. Same difference. <laughs> I Raven Crow. I couldn't care less. The only bird I care about is hawks. <gasps> Does that bring us to a hawk fact? <laughs> I just make cat noises every time I try to make a hawk noise. Yeah. Well, since this episode is Dead Poet Society, and it's all about death. And it's not all about death, but there's a theme of... A theme of death. A death. You know, your predecessors and their legacies, Mm -hmm. right? You can hear them whispering their legacy to you. Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Yes. Um, I wanted to share a little hawk fact about the legacy of the Titanohyrax, (gasps) also called the Titan Hawk. 
Ooh. Ooh, it's a cool name. Uh, and it was, or also, uh, in the same. Well, it was formerly in the same genus as the. Uh, Buteogallus borassi. You're kind of far from the mic. Oh, it was in the same uh, genus as a uh, Buteogallus borassi. Formerly, I guess, in the same genus. I don't know, maybe it was separated. I don't really know how these things work. I don't quite understand scientific classification of birds. And it's kind of important to know if I'm going to be sharing a hot fact every week. Mm-hmm. But in any case, uh, Buteogallus borassi is a species of giant Buteo 9 hawk, which went extinct in the early Holocene. <gasps> yeah. Cool. Uh, and. It was formerly endemic to Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, and its current resident, current resident, current, what's that, what's that word? Descendant. Oh, uh-huh. Uh, the Great Black Hawk, which is, yeah, close similarities with the Buteo Gallus. Borassi. Great. So that's fun. That was a fun it's hawk, a hawk fact. fact. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So different kinds of extinct hawks. Buteo gallus borassi. Titano hyrex. Both. They were both found in Cuba. Cuba, Hispaniola, and the Bahamas. Giant hawks. So that's fun. That is fun. Well, should we talk about the final scene? Sure. Um, unfortunately, the movie does not end where I think it should have ended. <laughs> Out in the snow. That's, that's the spiciest take I've ever heard. Um, yeah, it might be. Yeah. The movie is two hours and eight minutes long i'm not sure if that includes the end credits Mm -hmm. but it's kind of (laughs) long not that i mind like i like this ending i just think it would have been stronger Mm -hmm. been a very different movie it would have been a very different movie would have been a movie that my dad probably would have liked more (laughs) um so I think maybe because it's been parodied so much, to me, the music that plays during the scene is really funny. <laughs> yeah, the music in this movie is, I took note of it, it's kind of odd. Uh-huh. There's some stuff that's like ambient-ish. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of like ambient music, which I was sort of surprised by. And then there's some of the, you know, classical kind yeah. of band the music. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, and then there's that, that kind of scory type ending. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Mr. Keating has been let go from his position at the, at the school and he comes to collect his personals as he says mm-hmm. and the, the headmaster has taken over his English class and is teaching them the very thing that he told them to rip out of their textbooks the right. first day. Yes. Uh, and he's collecting his things, and Todd, Ethan Hawke's character, is watching him through the door with a sad expression. Uh, and 
once he's gotten all of these things and he's walking out, Ethan Hawke stands up in a flurry and says, Mr. Keating, you know, they made us sign that letter. We didn't want to do it. Yeah. And... Wait, are you sure he says that after he stands up on the desk? I thought he said no, that no, before. No, 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 he just stands up. Oh, he stands up. Not on his desk. And then he stands up on his desk Yeah, after. that's later. Right. Okay, go on. Anyway. Um, no, 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 you keep going. So he stands up and says that they made him sign, because he had to sign a letter that said that... What exactly did the letter say, even? Um, I think that uh, Keating encouraged them to create this club and encouraged... Uh, Neil to participate in the play against his father's wishes and that those contributed to his suicide. Right. So he says he made him sign the letter and then the headmaster's like, you sit down or something along those lines. <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of thing. And he stands up on the desk and oh, he tells Keating to leave. The headmaster's mm-hmm. like, oh, you leave now. Uh, so you get really quiet when you do those impressions. So then the mic doesn't really pick it up very much. Oh, okay. Well, everyone would love my impression. Yeah. Uh, you leave this room right now. I have a class to teach. I didn't want to answer any questions about Watergate. Um, <laughs> and so he's, he's, Keating is leaving, and then he's almost out the door. Todd stands on the desk and says, oh, Captain, my captain. Yeah, Ethan Hawke is the very first boy to stand up and do, oh, Captain, my yes. captain in the scene. Yes, yes. Um, and then kind of an uncomfortably long period of time passes before anyone else does it. I think the next yeah. one to do it is maybe Josh Charles's character. I'm not sure. Uh, either Josh Charles or um, uh, Dalton. Mm-hmm. And so the next... Oh, no, Dalton's been expelled. Forgot about that. You seem to like have very little recollection of this entire character, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what, what was his deal again? Uh, he was... Uh, <laughs> He was rich and he was supposed to go into business. Wait, he got expelled yeah. for for when he did the phone thing? Um, he, not for that specifically. Well, not for that. I think just he wouldn't sign. I don't know. He got expelled. Oh. Mm-hmm. I think it was part of it. But he wasn't there in this scene. Um... So, yeah, so then Josh Charles stands up on his desk next, and it's a, a one by one, all of the boys stand up and do, oh, captain, my captain. Most of them. Most. Most of them most in the them. class. In the class. All, all of the, like, Dead Poet Society boys do. Yeah. But not everyone in the class stands on their desk. Oh, I think, I think most of them do, though. Most of them do, but there are a few that are still sitting, I think, oh, at the okay. end. Because I thought it was kind of interesting that, like, so many of them did that, because I thought that, like, the... Not the first couple, but like the later ones, only did it because the other boys were doing it, and that's like kind of exactly what he was teaching them not to do at the beginning. That's a good point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Um. Anyway, and then the the movie ends on Ethan Hawke on this like really interesting shot of Ethan Hawke. He's standing on his desk, right, and the camera is angled. So that it's like viewing between, between the legs. No, it's oh, between, between someone's, someone's legs. legs. Uh-huh. Yeah, so through their legs, you can see Ethan Hawke. And I just thought that was a really weird shot. Yeah, that is interesting. I thought it was like two people's shoulders. No, uh, I think it's between someone's legs. And I think it's funny. maybe supposed to be Keating's perspective. Like he's looking at him. Right. 
but it's such a weird shot. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, But yeah, so the movie ends with our personal hero, Ethan Hawke. Doesn't he? He says, "Thank you, boys. Thank you." Yes. And then he leaves. Yeah. Um, and that's all I have on Dead Poets Society. Do you have any any last thoughts? Um. Yeah, I mean it was good. Oh, was, should we uh, do some listener comments? Oh, we have listener comments. We do. We do. Ooh, we have two. Exciting. All right, let's hear them. Um. So, Sydney <laughs> says. <laughs> Dead Poets Society and Goodwill Hunting really put Robin Williams on the map as an inspirational actor. I take that to mean like a more dramatic actor as right. opposed to his comedy. Yeah, but the role, the roles that he's, these two roles are like he's sort of an inspirational yeah. character. Um, so Dead Poets Society came out in 1989 and Goodwill Hunting came out eight years later in mm-hmm. uh, 97. Sure. Um, but. I will say that for me, one of Robin Williams' really important dramatic roles is in The World According to Garp. Not familiar. Um, And that was in 1982, which Mm. was seven years before Dead Poets Society. Interesting. So So what kind of character does he play there? um, It's a a serious, it's a strange and serious movie. He's, uh, I don't totally remember but he's a he's a father he's a little boy who's afraid of he calls it the undertoad and it's the water the waves that come out of the ocean uh, i don't know it's Interesting. A, yeah okay anyway it's based on a um john irving book mm. so right. i don't know i would i would like to rewatch it i don't have a very clear memory of it but i do remember thinking that he was really good in that movie mm-hmm. um and then lauren says what happens in this movie again? I've seen it at least eight times. <laughs> well, Lauren, I can't really help you if you've seen it eight times. Yeah. And you don't remember. That's quite a few times. Um, maybe listen to this podcast. Yeah. Although we didn't really do too much summary. No, no. We just In this episode. Chatted. We just chatted. But so many people have seen this movie, you know, that I yeah. feel like we don't really need to. Yeah. I think with Explorers, we kind of felt like we had to because it's kind of an obscure... I mean, it's a cult cult, cult classic, status now, but, but not everyone has seen it. And I hadn't heard of it until we started this podcast mm-hmm. research, so... Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I've been Harper. And Jonathan, next week we're talking about Dad. Yes, we're talking about Dad, the film about three generations of men, and those three generations are played by Jack Lemmon, Ted Danson, and our very own Ethan Hawke. <laughs> very own Ethan Hawke. The poster of this Ted Danson looks really weird. Yeah. His hair is so dark. His face is like intense. You have to look it up yourself. Or you can look up our poster that we've made with my face as Ted Danson's. Yes, and my face is Jack Lemons. Yes. It's a treat for the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and the soul, I say. Yes. Um, great. Well, this has been... Hawkeyes episode two, Dead Poet Society. Thanks for tuning in, future listeners. Yeah. Oh, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hawkeyes Pod. This episode was produced by Harper Thompson and myself, Jonathan Zavaleta. 
It was edited by Harper Thompson, and our intro music, Hawk Song, is written and recorded by Connor Vance.